You're listening to Inward with Rabbi Joey Rosenfeld on the Shefa Podcast Network. Join Rabbi Joey as he guides us through the world and major works of Kabbalah, Hasidic masters, and Jewish philosophy, shedding light on the inner life of the soul. Okay, so Be'ezras Hashem, there was not a lot of planning that went into this, but today um, I felt uh, a desire to try and speak a little bit about the Tzaddik, Tzaddik Yisod Olam Maran HaRashash, Rav Shalom Sharabi Schusi Yogen Aleinu, whose yard site falls out on Yud Shvat. And already the Eifah Shlema writes, the Eifah writes that um, that it was the minhag that by the Mekubalim and Yerushalayim and elsewhere to have a big hilula for the Rashash, to light candles, to have a suda. So while Anshe Hasvardim have the ability to recognize the godless of such a tzaddik, Ashkenazim are just a little bit behind, especially in Chutzlar. It's in Eretz Yisrael, it's, uh, it's not such a big distinction. But here at least we can try and give a shear on a small level to uh, to discuss a little bit about what the tzaddik is and, and what this tzaddik represents and what he did and continues to do for the study of Panimiya Satora, in particular the words of the Arizal. Tonight's shir is dedicated anonymously, bi'ilum shame, by, uh, by a, an open-hearted individual who desires that the words of the tzaddik and the words of the rashash and the teachings of the rashash should have a hashpa'ah and Pekida Tova for him and for all of Klal Yisrael, and for Fuwa Shalema for all those who are Chaylim, for my uncle Rav David Ben Esther Tova, for my Safta Esther Tova, and for Kol Chole Am Yisrael and Kol Chole HaOlam. When it comes to talking about the Rashash, it's uh, very difficult to even know where to begin. This is not going to be a biographical shiur. But the Rashash lived a short life. The Rashash lived about 57, 58 years, passed away in 1777. And to begin with, what we can focus on is something that I heard from Rav Moshe Shatshlita, one of the individuals who has really, for the first time in history, opened up the teachings and the wellsprings of the Rashash to an Ashkenazi world by unlocking the key that is inherent within the Rashash's system of understanding, that without which we have no access to the Ariza whatsoever. The Rashash represents one of the four general modalities in which the Torah of the Arizal can be understood. B'derech Klal, Pardes, or Pshat, Remez, Drash, and Sod is broken up corresponding to the four letters of the Shem Havaya. And they represent the fourfold breakdown, the fourfold palace in which a person can interpret the words of Torah, hermeneutically speaking, to move from one room to the other without feeling that those floors or those different modalities of interpretation create any sense of distinction in the unified Torah, but rather each and every one of them operate in unison. The four tzaddikim who represent the pardes, the four 
pathways or rivers in which we can understand the words of the Arizal have Bederach Klal been identified as the Rashash, the Ramchal, the Gra, and the Balshemtov. Now, depending on where a person comes from is going to be the arrangement of those letters, but Kuliamalo Pligi, that the Rashash represents the Pshat of the Arizal, or in the Yeshivos of the Svardig Mikubalim, what it's referred to as Omeka Pshat, the depth of the Pshat. Now, at first appearances, Pshat appears to be the most externalized level, the simplest understanding of things, without delving into the depth of the matter, stuck stuck on the externalized element of the teachings. But truth be told, the depth of Pshat is in truth the deepest place that a person can come to in terms of their understanding of the words of the Arizal. The Vilna Gon's Talmud Mufak, Rav Benachem Mendel of Shklov, writes in his Hakdama to his parish on Mishle that what he heard from his Rebbe, the Gro, is that if a person wants to ever come to understand the Soid, the true secret of something, they first and foremost have to be able to return back to the Pshat, implying that, in fact, Pshat is not simply the most externalized level, but rather Pshat is the level that contains it all that pshat on its pashat level, which the Arizal teaches us, pashtus and the simplicity of things without complication is representative of not an uncomplicated approach, but rather the simplicity that arrives after all of complication. Pshat contains within it all that it contains, meaning the letters themselves are all that is left over. After one has tried through all of the complications and through all of the imaginings of interpretation, the freedom of interpretation and the application of metaphor and metaphoricity, et cetera, et cetera. At the end of the day, what a person needs to come back to is the recognition that all we have is pshat. All we have is the simple meaning of things. And that's what the Rashash was giving us. The Rashash was by no means simply trying to tell us what the Arizal meant. The Rashash descended down into the deepest territories of what the Arizal and what the Torah is trying to tell us, and ultimately came back with the recognition that all we have is the pshat. The Rashash points out very similarly to the Leshem Shoevachaloyma, and the Leshem Shoevachaloyma was one of the main Ashkenazic Mikubalim who finally acknowledged and attributed the key to understanding to the writings of the Rashash and to the Torah's Chacham, the Rashash's Taman Mufak. But the Leshem writes that in the end of the day, when a person tries to understand the depth of the Torah of the Arizal, what we go through is various processes of trying to apply human understanding to these concepts, trying to interpret them as metaphors, as concepts that can be applied to human experience, psychologically speaking, historically speaking, et cetera, et cetera. And what the Rashash points out, as well as the Leshem Shabbat is that any attempt to behold or lay claim to the fact that we know exactly what the Arizal meant in what he said is already missing the point because all we know is what the Arizal said. And our job is simply to learn what the Arizal said, not necessarily to reinterpret the words of the Arizal and apply them to our psychological lived experiences. That's another thing. That's applying the words of the Arizal. But to understand the words of the Arizal, one needs to delve deeply into the words themselves. The Rashash explicitly states this in Rechav Asanahar when he points out a stira, and it's also brought down in Hagos Hashemesh on Eitzchayim, one of the other places that Rashash writes, 
is that in truth, the steros that we encounter within the writings of the Arizal could be interpreted and reinterpreted properly if we had the capacity to uncover the depths that lie nested within the external casings of the letters. But in the end of the day, all we have is the letters. So what the Rashash is saying that yes, there's a way of understanding everything and all of the contradictions inherent within the text, but in the end of the day, the purpose is not to break open the text and find some hidden meaning, but the purpose is simply to understand the text itself. And part of this is rooted in the fact that what the Rashash theoretically saw himself as doing was not something new from the Arizal, but rather it was the continuity and the completion of the Arizal's project. We see this when the Rashash spends a lot of time and the Tamidim of the Rashash spend a lot of time warning us never to look at any of the Meforshim other than Rav Chaim Vital. Unlike many other Mikubalim, the Ramchal, the Gra, their Talmidim, the Balshemto of his Talmidim, who were open to interpretation, utilizing other students of the Arizal, utilizing different modes of hermeneutical freedom to try and uncover the latent meaning within the external metaphor, the Rashash felt that all we have in front of us are the words of the Arizal themselves. That's it. The Rashash writes in his Akdamat Sanar, which we're going to explain in a moment what that book represents. The Rashash writes that I am going to try and answer some of your questions. He says to Chachme Ma'arav, the Chachamim had sent the Rashash a number of questions. And instead of answering each question one after the other, the Rashash wrote an eight-page double-sided folios introduction referred to as Hakdamas Rechova Sanahar, where he explains that if you truly understand and penetrate deeply into the depth of this introduction, all things will remain clear to you. And he expresses there to make sure that everybody knows that he has not looked at anything but the writings of Rav Chaim Vital, and that the one time he was forced to look at other interpreters of Kabbalah Sa'arizal, he almost tore Kriya, or he did tore Kriya, over how disgusted and overwhelmed he was by the misinterpretation. Now, who exactly the Rashash was talking about, what book did the Rashash open, has been subject towards many discussions. But uh, there's a Mekubal in our generation Tremendous, tremendous Balkishron in terms of the Bakiyas and the Iyun of his Kabbalah, who wrote in one of his early Svarim that the Rashash had opened up a Sefer from the Ramchal. And when he saw the words of the Ramchal, he tore Kriya. Now, Ravitchemeyer Morgenstern Shlita, who, in my humble opinion, is one of the, uh, the gatekeepers or the key holders to all things connected to the Rashash and his Talmidim. He writes that when he read that this Mukubal said that the Rashash tore Kriya about the Ramchal, that Ravitchemeyer tore Kriya over the fact that there was someone in our generation who could claim that the Rashash tore Kriya over the Ramchal. And Ravitchemeyer, utilizing historical sources as well as Svari Yeshira, implies and points out, as does Rav Yaakov Hillel and many of the Tzadikim, that what the Rashash looked at were writings that were attributed to the Kasa Arura, the Tamidim of Shabtai Tzvi. And ultimately, that was what the Rashash was trying to fight so strongly against, like everybody else. But suffice it to say, the Rashash was absolutely loyal to the basic text and the basic structure of the Arizal. Ad Kedekach, that the Masorah goes that when the Arizal died, the Arizal died earlier than he anticipated. 
He died a few years earlier than when he anticipated the Geula, at which point he claims, Rav Chaim Vital brings this down in Priyetz Chaim, that he was going to be able to reveal the final nail of Panimiya Satora, which would be the capacity of translating Panimiya Satora onto the register of Niglo Satora, and seeing how ultimately the twin Torahs of Nigla and Nista revealed and concealed are both part and parcel of the same unified entity of the, the grand picture of Torah. But the Arizal was not Zaycha, the Talmidim were not Zaycha, the world was not Zaycha. And the Masorah goes that on his deathbed, what the Arizal told his Talmidim who were crying, wondering what they would do in an orphaned world without their Rebbe, the Arizal, without the Helega Arizal. And the Arizal said, if you keep things proper and you do things the right way, I'll come back to you. And it's brought down by Masorah and brought down in the Kafachayim al Shulchanorach that the Arizal came back as the Rashash, that there was an Ibor Nefesh of sorts, that the Rashash came to be the Gushpanka, the final stamp of what the Arizal was saying. So on a certain level, the Rashash is not meant to be seen even as an interpreter of the Arizal, but rather part and parcel of the final system of proper understanding of how to understand the Arizal. One of the things that we're going to try and do tonight, Bezra Sashem, because there's so much to talk about when it comes to talk about the Rashash, is to identify four general principles, four general Torahs that can be applied to human experience. Because unlike the role that the Rashash played for many years before our generation, the Rashash was seen as somebody who delved into the depths of the system of the Arizal for the purpose of clarifying and rectifying the proper understanding and fixing the mistakes and really giving us the kalim or the tools as to how to properly interpret the Arizal. But it's with Rav Yitzhak Meyer Morgenstern Shlita that the Rashash has now been placed properly and in an open and revealed way as the key that holds the entire system together. For Ravitchemeyer, the Rashash is the bridge between the Arizal and the Balshemtov. That if a person looks at the writings of the Arizal, and a person looks at the writings of Rav Chaim Vital, and even the writings of Rabbi Yisrael Sarug, meaning Rabbi Yisrael Sarug, the other Talmud of the Arizal, who theoretically the Rashash included within his claim that he never looked at any of the writings other than Rav Chaim Vital. Ravitchemeyer and Rishmul Ehrenfeld Shlita, they have a 200-page mimer called Hashem Malach Geus Lavesh, proving without any doubt whatsoever, explicitly from within the Rashash and explicitly from within the Rashash's Talmidim, that the Rashash was Osek in the Olama Samalbush, the Kabbalah of Rav Yisrael Sarug as well. But previously, the Rashash was there to give us the proper keys of interpretation and understanding of the Arizal. But what Rav Itchemeyer has shown is that it's really the Rashash that allows us to bridge the multifaceted and detailed particularized world of the Arizal with the world of unifications and unity that the Baal Shem Tov HaKadosh and the other tzaddikim try and bring to us. Because when a person looks at the writings of the Arizal and the Shemona Sha'arim, and a person looks at all of the myriad details, what they have painted in front of them is a complex and multifaceted system with many, many moving parts interacting with one another at any given moment. 
And a person has to hold cup and a person has to maintain in their mind direct attention to each and every practical iteration of an idea. And if you miss one iteration of an idea, the entire system falls apart because you forgot what came beforehand. And one gets the sense when they delve directly into the writings of the Arizal that we actually did the opposite of what one would expect from a Mekubal. Before the Arizal, it was very clear. There was one Hashem, there was one world, and the job was for this world to connect to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Comes along the Arizal, based on the Zohar HaKadosh, and he multiplies the worlds. Worlds become two worlds, becomes three worlds, four worlds. Four worlds become built of five partsufim. Each partsuf contains within itself another five partsufim. What used to be just 10 spheros is now 100 spheros and 1,000 spheros because everything contains within itself a subsection of its own. And when a person looks at the writings of the Arizal, one can't help but feel that instead of unity, what I'm encountering now is multiplicity, separateness, separation, a swarming sea of different particularized details that don't seem necessarily to connect to one another in any coherent way. And a person looks at the Arizal in a Tzchayim Kadisha as describing what has taken place from the beginning of history prior to creation, through the desire of a Kaddish Baruch Hu, so to speak, for creation, through the process of creation, leading up to what happens at the end of creation, so that if a person wants to ever find any meaning in the Arizal, they need to hold cup on the entire fabric of history. We have to be holding with one hand the past, the present, as well as the future, which leaves a person bewildered and incapable of realizing that because all we do is have the moment. And the Arizal leaves the person feeling scattered and dizzied by what's going on. Comes along the Rashash. And the Rashash takes the system of the Arizal and all of its manifested parts and all of its particularity and manifoldness. And what the Rashash does is he reveals to us that in truth, all of these particularized details are rooted in singular principles. And all of these pratim, all of these different manifestations and particularities of the system of the Arizal are in truth symptoms, so to speak. They're manifestations of general principles of klalim that rest underneath them. So that instead of getting caught up in the thicket of all of the different trees and particular branches of the Arizal system, what the Rashash allows us to do is move back down to see the underlying roots that hold these millions of different points together. It's a reduction of all of the noise of the details. And it allows us to move back to a place of singular principles that can now be understandable by the naked eye. I no longer need to hold cup on a thousand different pieces. Now all I have to hold cup on is four general principles, five general principles. It's not coincidental on any level that Rashash, Resh, Shin, Shin, is the same osios as Shoresh, as the root. Because what the Rashash does is he uncovers for us the shared root behind all of the overgrowth and the various trees and branches that sprout forth from the Eitz Chaim Kadisha. The Rashash brings us back down to a place of Shoresh where he says that 
Don't be overwhelmed by all of the changes and all of the different details and what Zer'anpin means and what Nuktiza means and what Aban Ima means and what Yafsut means and Nahi Dechagas, Dechabad, Nahi. And don't get overwhelmed by all of those different iterations of particularities and feel as if there's no unifying principle behind them, but rather recognize that all of these different iterations and different names and different symptoms are in truth just a repetition of the same system over and over and over again. And that instead of trying to grab every prat or every particular and hold it in mind and memorize it like a mathematician who bears no relationship with the essence of the matter, simplify the complication and come to recognize the singular principles that rest at the heart of the entirety of the system. And with those principles, you can realize that in truth, the Arizal was revealing unity in a greater way. The Arizal was not just offering a proliferation of detail, but rather the Arizal, as seen through the lens of the Shairish of the Rashash, was offering us first principles in terms of how to look at everything in existence. And so what the Rashash does, in spite of the fact that it appears sometimes that he makes it even more complex, is the Rashash shows us that the entirety of Kabbalah can be reduced to singular concepts that are repeated over and over and over in different ways. And instead of trying to figure out all of the different ways that they express themselves, if we can understand those basic principles, then we'll understand exactly what we're reading wherever we're reading it. We'll see, oh, this is just this concept applied in this way, and this is just this concept applied in this way. It's not a million different concepts. It's singular concepts that are expressed in a million different ways. And if a person is typhus, that's shayresh, then they're be'etzem typhus, the entire tree as well. And it's this simplification or unification of all of the details of the Arizal that allow us to now begin to apply those concepts of the Ari to the world of Yichur that our tzaddikim, the Ramchal, the Gra, and the Baal Shem Kadosh are explaining to us. Because now that the forest of Kabbalah and all of the difficult concepts that a person has to try and hold cup in have been simplified to singular principles, now I can begin again to believe in the unity of all things. Now I can begin again to see the singular uniformity behind all of the different processes. That echoing the Arizal, the Rashash says as follows, that Kimat kol ha-Kabbalah that in truth, one can unify the entirety of Kabbalah into two singular principles, mad and man, or man and mad, inspiration that ascends from below and inspiration that descends from on high, human effort that acknowledges lack from below, and the fullness of spirituality and moichin that descends from above. Everything can be reduced to those singular principles, which are in truth, the pulsation at the heart of unity. And now that the Rashash has given us the keys to reduce the volume of the noise of the complications and to look at the singular principles, we can begin to look at the Kabbalah of the Arizal, not as this mathematical or scientific physics textbook that needs to be memorized in terms of the metaphysics of it all, but we can now look at it as concepts, as philosophical concepts and categories that allow us to look at the world with eyes of Amuna, that the Kabbalah of the Arizal stops being the DNA of an individual 
it stops being the physiology of the divine godhead, so to speak. And it begins to be the principles, the klalim that a person has to utilize to look at the world in a healthy way, Bezra Sachem. And so what I want to try and do tonight, and this is just uh, scratching the very, very surface, is to understand a few of the principles, the general qualities that the Rashash offers us. Now, again, I am of the belief, and this is just me, that our generation is particularly unique in the sense that the writings of the Rashash have been revealed and explained and elucidated in a way that they have absolutely never been before. Rashash and his Tamidim, especially the Taras Chacham, are famous for their terse amount of writing because there was no explanation. They were just dealing in the actual language of the Arizal. So their words read like detailed manuals for those who are initiated into a secret language. But nowadays, there are a number of tzaddikim and mikubalim. Rav Yaakov Hillel Shlita has done just simply a profound, profound job in elucidating the concepts of the Rashash. He wrote the first volume on the introduction of Hakdamas Rachova Sanar called Aspaklaria de Nahora, which in my mind is one of the clearest explications of the Rashash. He stopped, however. I had the schus of, of sitting by Rav Yaakov Hillel once in my life. And I asked when it was going to be finished, and he said he should have siyata deshmaya to be able to finish it. So, so all of the tzaddikim should be blessed with the capacity to finish what they need to finish. But Rav Yitzchak Meyer Morgenstern Shlita as well has opened up the rashash in a way that I feel is singular. I think that everything that the Rebbe does is singular, but especially in the world of the rashash. His ma'amarim on Rechov Sanar that have been printed yearly in Yam HaChachma which are now being printed fully as a Sefer Bifnei Atzmam, has basically made it more difficult to misunderstand the Rashash than to understand the Rashash. And the Rebbe's Talmud Mufik, Rav Shmuel Ehrenfeld, in his Svarim on the Rashash, Yeruchim HaShemesh, Ketzeitz HaShemesh, a foreseeable 26 volumes on the eight-page Haktama of the Rechava Sanahar, it's, again, it's harder to misunderstand than it is to understand. All a person needs is the Azaz de Kedusha to recognize that, you know, if I'm sick enough, I need this medicine, and the Rashash is medicine for all of us, because the Rashash reveals in front of our eyes how to reanimate and reorganize the way we look at the world. And there's more and more writings coming out, and there's many, many writings coming out. But in terms of the practical writings of the Rashash, so we don't have very much. We have Hagos HaShemesh, which are the footnotes of the Rashash on Eitzchayim Kadisha. While they're limited in number, they are profound and, and necessary in understanding the words of the Arizal. There's also klalim nifradim shenichtivu bekatnuso. There's general klalim that were written by the Rashash in his youth that are printed, I believe it's in Sharlamid or before Sharlamid in Eitzchayim. Then what we have is Sefer Nahar Shalom. Nahar Shalom is theoretically a, an approach or a way of learning Shar HaKavanos and Pri Yitzchayim, the meditative and, and contemplative principles of Kavanos, of the mystical intentions that a person has to hold in mind when they're engaged in acts of prayer. And as an introduction to Nahar Shalom, we have the Hakdama Rechovah Sanahar. 
Now, one of the, the first concept that I want to try and look at with regards to what the Rashash has done for us in terms of understanding the Arizal is the concept of Erchen or perspectivism or the relative nature in which everything can be understood. Because this rests at the core of what the Rashash was trying to do. That like we said before, the Arizal's world looks like it's a million different pieces. And the Rashash is coming to show us that in truth, there's only very few pieces, but those pieces can manifest in millions of different ways. So one no longer needs to grab all of the million pieces. I can understand the four general principles and then see how it's applicable everywhere. For the Rashash, hakol tolu be'erche hakinuyim bildad. Anytime we see the Arizal describing a different concept in spirituality, a different concept in the way that HaKadosh Baruch Hu has created the world, a different position in the field of spirituality, whether it be this part so for that part so. Again, we're trying to, to understand what the Rashash has done without basically even having an idea of what the Arizal said, which is a tall order. But wherever a person is looking, instead of thinking that there's an absolute distance between point A and point B, or an absolute distance between the way that I look at myself in the morning and I look at myself at night, the klal ha'erchen means that everything is the same. Everything is the animating light of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Everything is built upon the principle of a singular unity that rests at the core of all things. It's our perspective that shifts. It is the vision of the reader, the vision of the interpreter, the vision of the student upon which difference rests. Because the concepts being studied in Kabbalah, which is the unity of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, is a singular, a singular and unified concept, unchanging in its structure. The thing that changes is our relative position. So if I look at myself from a perspective of being below, what I look above at is considered infinite in relationship to me. But when I look at the perspective of things from above, the higher level now becomes infinite. There can be multiple points of infinitude. There can be multiple points of beginning and end because everything is dependent on how I look at things. There is no essential shift taking place between the relationship that I have with HaKadosh Baruch Hu on a Sunday versus the relationship that I have with HaKadosh Baruch Hu on Shabbos. The only difference is that my perspective of HaKadosh Baruch Hu's light shifts and as a result of my shifting perspective and my relative positioning, I see things differently. One of the most important concepts that I feel comes out of the concept of Erchen is the recognition that there is no absolute shift, there is no absolute change in the way that HaKadosh Baruch Hu relates to us. HaKadosh Baruch Hu is shav b'chol minei deshav. It's shivisi Hashem l'negdi tamid. HaKadosh Baruch Hu is unified and singular in all modes of unity without change and unchanging and unshifting. The Or Ein Sof is present infinitely within each and everything in our lives. And the only thing that changes the, is the perspectivism, the way that we're looking at it. Do I look at the light of HaKadosh Baruch Hu at this moment as a minimized light? Or do I look at the light of HaKadosh Baruch in this moment as an expansive light? And what this means is that while I can change a thousand different times a day, 
Well, I can fall and rise and fall and rise and fall and rise. Nevertheless, it's not the light of HaKadosh Baruch Hu that's changing. It's my position. It's my das tachton. It's my limited perspective of how HaKadosh Baruch Hu operates in the world. And so the only thing that changes is my capacity to move and trust that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is the same no matter what. But what's changing is my perspective. Based on this klal of erchen, based on this klal of the unity of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, which is true and the same everywhere that we look, up, down, right, left, middle, center, down, above, below, it's all the same and all that changes is my perspective. We can move on to the next concept that the Rashash points out for us. Because for the Rashash, there is an inherent wholeness at the root of all things. Everything is always already revealed. The only question is, am I capable of rectifying and clarifying myself enough to reveal that which has always been present? So like our tzaddikim, the Maharal, and the Talmidim of the Baal Shem Tov would point out, that tshuva is not simply changing who I am or becoming a person who is different than what I was, but rather tshuva is an uncovering of that which has always been potent and potential within me, except now it's revealed. So too for the Rashash, the distinction between a state of smallness and a state of large-mindedness and grandiose consciousness of connectivity to HaKadosh Baruch Hu is not a different in kind, but rather a difference in degree. When I find myself in a state of katnus, when I find myself operating as a vak, as the six lower spheros without any chachma, bina, or das, the typical way of understanding this would be that I am missing chachma, bina, and das. I don't have it. And until I have it, I can't move forward. And so I see myself as a deficient creature in need of fullness that comes from elsewhere. But the, what the Rashash points out inherent within the writings of the Arizal is that in truth, everything is whole in and of itself. Everything contains its own fullness. The only thing we need to do is to be mezachich ourselves enough to reveal the inherent wholeness that exists within us any place that we find ourselves. That sure, the, the tachlis is to move from a lower state to a higher state. But the only way that I move from a lower state to a higher state is when I come to understand that within my lower state itself exists that higher state. And instead of going out searching for fullness outside of me and feeling like I am missing essential ingredients to be a functional Jew, I come to live with the understanding and the awareness that I have everything that I need within me I just need to learn how to be megala it, to rectify it, to reveal it. On a psychological level, what this means is a radical redemption of the self. That prior to the Rashash's intervention and interpretation of the words of the Arizal, we can look at ourselves as either having it or not having it. There are those who have it and there are those who don't have it. And if I'm blessed to be the one that has it, that spiritual insight, that capacity for inherent health and spiritual health, et cetera, et cetera. So then great, but if I don't have it, I don't have it. Comes along the Rashash and he says, no, even within the Vak is a Gar. 
the gimelration of Chachma and and Das already exists in latent form within the Vak itself, within those lower six spheros. The body contains the mind within it. You just have to learn how to uncover the mind within the body. And when I can uncover the mind within the body, then I can go up to the next level and connect to the body within the mind. And then I can go another level and another level and another level. Because in truth, the only thing that is changing is our perspective of things. And we're radically trying to reduce the concealment and reveal that which is always present in front of us. This leads us to another Chiddush of the Rashash. And again, the Chiddush of the Rashash is not a novelty that was not present, but rather it's an uncovering of that which has always been present. The Rashash, as is Talmud Mufak, the Torah Chacham, points out all the time, Haprat v'haklal shavin, that the particular and the whole are equal. What this means on a practical level is b'derach klal, we think of the shame havaya, right? Hakadosh Baruch Hu's four-letter name, yud ke vavke, representative of all of the worlds and all of the partsufim and the configurations through which Hakadosh Baruch Hu reveals himself in the world. The upper point of the Yud represents Keser, and the lower part of the Yud represents Chachma. The first He represents Bina, the Vav represents Chesed, Gvur, Teferas, Netzach, Hoid, Yesoid, and the lower He represents Malchus. On the level of Partsufim, the tippy top of the Yud represents Keser, which is Atik and Arich. The lower part of the Yud represents Chachma, which is Abba. The He represents Ima or Bina. The Vav represents Zer Anpin, or Chesed Gvur Tferes Netzachoy Yisoid, and the lower He represents Nukva de Zer Anpin, or Malchusa Kadisha. Now, B'derech Klau, the way we would look at that substructure of all of the letters of HaKadosh Baruch Hu's name is that these five parts combined create a grand system. And what the Rashash reveals to us is that the Arizal has been saying all along that it's not just that the Yud represents Chachma and the He represents Bina, the Yud has within itself an entire name of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, and the He has within itself an entire name of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, and the Vav has within itself an entire name of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, and the He has within itself the entire name of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And not only that, but the Yud within the Shem Havaya of the Yud has its own subset of four letters, ad infinitum, because anything that is built upon the essential unity of HaKadosh Baruch Hu dictates that it must have access to every imaginable particular. So what the Rosh Hashanah has shown us is that don't think that you need to have the entire picture in order to grasp the totality of things. You can delve into the particularized point that you're grasping at that moment and come to uncover that everything is there. This is what Rav Moshe Shach Shlita has referred to as the holographic principle inherent within the writings of the Rosh Hashanah. That like a hologram that represents a singular image, but when a hologram is shattered into 10 different pieces, the unique nature of the holographic imprint of that image is that every shard of glass that was originally contained within that singularized form of the hologram contains the whole picture in and of itself. That the part contains the whole because all the parts are just new iterations of the whole. Everything is the whole. As the Baal Shem Tov says, the name of the Rishonim HaToyfes Chelek Mena Etzem, Toyfes Etzem Kulo. Somebody who grabs and touches a part of the whole is in truth uncovering the entirety of the whole in itself. And that comes back to the original Chiddush we said, which is that wherever I am, even if I'm just a prat, even if I'm just a part, if I dig down deep into myself, I can reveal that I'm a klal. 
And even though, as we said in the first Chiddush of Erchin, even though I might only be holding by Zeranpin, which is a state of katnas, and I'm stuck in my mind that I don't have any access to expansivity, in truth, if I dive deeply into my experience in this moment, I can uncover the vistas of mindfulness and awareness and amuna and yichud that I need to help me in that particular moment. And in that moment, I'm experiencing the gula of the self. Ah, in relationship to the next level, I haven't even begun. Well, that brings us to the next nukud of the rashash. The concept of erchen, the concept of the relative principle and the relative proximity which we experience with the infinite light of God, is in truth built upon the very fact that the human being is incapable of grasping the essence of a Kaddish Baruch Hu. That nothing can ever see itself as fully complete. Because I can always look at myself from three different perspectives. And this is built on that perspectival vision of Erchen. That vis-a-vis -vis myself as I exist in this moment, I am both whole in my mind, and broken in my body. I am whole in my consciousness or my chachma, my bina and my das and my gar. And I am broken in my emotionality of my chesed, gvura, tefaras, netzachod, yesod. So the individual entity needs to see itself as both broken and whole at once, comprising two different experiences within itself. But in relationship to that which is lower than me, I am considered whole completely. Even my lower part is considered fixed because in relationship to that perspectival vision below me, so when I look up to where I am right now on that higher level, I'm whole in relationship to that broken space. And the same is true with regards to what is above me. Even if I'm whole in my mind, when I look at the level above me, I am broken in relationship to that. We have to see ourselves like links in a chain. We are the central link in between three links of a chain. The central link is connected both to that which is above and that which is below. In relationship to itself, it's both broken and whole. It's above and below. In relationship to that which is below it, it's considered truly above. And in relationship to that which is above it, it's considered truly below. So that there is no moment in a person's life that cannot be both broken and whole at once, whole in relationship to where I've come from, deficient in relationship to where I'm going towards, and whole and deficient at the very moment that I exist as I view myself right now. That everything is whole and everything is broken at once because everything is the perspective at which I choose to look at things. If I'm looking at myself in relationship to yesterday, and the spiritual work that I did yesterday, I can see myself as truly whole and rectified. If I'm looking at myself in the perspective of my avodas Hashem that rests in front of me tomorrow, I have to see myself as truly deficient. But when I look at myself as I exist in relationship to who I am right now, I am an admixture, I am a dance between shlemus and chisaron. And when I'm capable of understanding this, I understand the secret of Erchen. I understand that everything can be seen in different ways in spite of the fact that we're looking at the very same entity, the very same singular unit, that monad, that unit that contains all things within it. And the last point that I want to try and point out from the Rashash is that this unity that the Rashash bespeaks, this radical perception of ontological unity where all things are ultimately rooted in the same structure and it's only dependent on the, on the interpretation of perception that gives me a difference between fixedness and brokenness, one can very quickly 
fall away from what Kabbalah is actually trying to teach us. If a person thinks that once you learn the Rashash, everything is fixed and everything is perfect and there's no need for growth anymore, then a person has absolutely misunderstood the Rashash because the Rashash demands of us perpetual growth. The Rashash tells us something so profoundly radical that it's almost impossible to believe. And when you look at the Tamid and the Basi Lagani, they make it absolutely clear that the 6,000 millennia that we live in, the Shis Al-Feshanin, the Have Alma, the beginning of creation, the revelation of the middle of creation and the redemption of the end of creation, or like we spoke about before, looking at the Arizal as describing the beginning, the middle and the end of things, the Rashash says that really this 6,000 millennia are simply considered one singular point in the chain of connectivity to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And that in relationship to where we're at right now, we anticipate via Samashiach, but in relationship to via Samashiach, all that, will that, all that will happen is a revelation of a new level and new work to be done. So yes, I experience the infinite and the hiskarvas to the infinite of where I'm at right now, but the moment I grasp the infinite, what opens up in front of me is infinite vista of his ultimate growth. Ad kedekach, that there's never an end. Tzadikim, ein lahem menucha ba'olam hazev, ein lahem menucha ba'olam haba. Shaholchem mechayel elchayel. Even at the end of perfection, what opens up in front of me is a new level of imperfection that just needs to be climbed to move one step closer to the center point that kav or ein sof that manifests in everything which reminds us that we have to always perpetually be yearning. And so it's not that the Rashash offers us the semblance of clear unity that allows me to rest. The Rashash opens up Hakdamas Rehova Sanahar with the Shvira. One can say that Shvira Sakelim, the traumatic cataclysmic beginning of existence and the engine that drives existence is what rests at the core of the Rashash's system. The Rashash writes in Nahar Shalom, a remarkable, remarkable teaching in the bracha of Hanoisim Masech Vibina, that after a certain cheshbon of how the worlds operate, the Rashash has a lashon that Oilam hazeh nosun besoich betan hanachash, that this worldly experience rests hidden within the belly of the snake. And I had the schluss of asking Rav Matil Zilber about this, and I had the schluss of reading Rav Itchemeyer describe this, that this is one and the same with what the Balatanya describes as It's also the art site of the Rebbe Rayatz, who was Megala Elokus Bebetan Hanachash as well in communist Russia. And it's the same as what Rabbi Nachman describes as Hastara Betoycha Hastara. The Rashash is not running away from concealment. The Rashash is throwing us into the very belly of concealment to teach us how to reveal unity even there. How to reveal that Nakuda of the Shairesh, that's Megala, that everything is unified. The last point that I want to bring out from the Rashash, and again, one day we'll be Zolcha to go deeper into these ideas, is that for the Rashash, the Kav, the animating light of HaKadosh Baruch Hu as it descends into this world is the Torah itself. For the Rashash, there's no difference on a certain level between connecting to godliness through the mind, through tefillah or through Torah. When a person descends deep down into the letters of existence, beyond the words of Torah, but digs down deep into the irreducible building blocks of spirituality, at that moment, the person is makusher to the Or Sof. I believe it was the Eifa Shlema, I could be wrong, who came to, no, I, I think it was the Shemin Sasson, 
I'm forgetting who it was who came to who, but somebody came to the Ben Ishchai in Baghdad asking them how to find the Rebbe in Kabbalah. Kerem Shlomo. It was the Eifah Shlomo? Kerem Shlomo. The Kerem Shlomo. The Kerem Shlomo. The Kerem Shlomo came to the Kerem Shlomo came to the Ben Ishchai and asked them how to find the Rebbe in Yerushalayim to learn by. And what the Ben Ishchai said was that someone who is able to explain to you this teaching in the Rashash at the end of Rehovah Sanahar, that the Kav, Or Ha'in Sof, is one and the same with the Or HaTorah, is someone who's ready to be a Rebbe. And on a certain level, as the Tzadikim point out and as the Tamidim al-Bar point out, everything becomes Torah. There's Torah in Gashmias, there's Torah in Ruchnias, it's all relative. A person can uncover the light of unity of HaKadosh Baruch Hu anywhere. A person can come to realize that even the loftiest levels of experience rest within us. That's what the Rashash did by bringing Drusha Das down. Typically speaking, we see Keser as something that exists beyond us. Drusha Das of Rav Chaim Vital, which the Rashash plants directly at the heart of Rehova Sanar, teaches us that no, there's a way of looking that Keser exists within the mind itself which teaches us that Geula rests within the mind itself and that it's no longer a process of drawing down, but rather a process of uncovering the Shairish that exists within us. And while so much of this is just Bidara HaKadama and so much of this is not clarified properly, it should be the merit of the Tzaddik, it should be the merit of all of the Tzaddikim who live in the light of the Rashash, who try and study the words of the Rashash and the words of the Tamidim and the Taras Chacham and the living Tzaddikim who spend their entire lives trying to uncover the secrets of unity as they exist, that we should be able to merit, to taste the sweetness of Panimiya Satora, to not be afraid of Panimiya Satora, to not be afraid of the Rashash, to not be afraid of the proliferation of details, and to come to realize that everything is everything and it's one and the same, and it's the secret of unity that emerges, like Rabbi Nachman says, out of the unity that is expressed in myriads of colors, and the chambers of changes that we reveal the depth of the unity. So to hold on to the secret of the singular unity at the heart of all things, and also to realize that that unity can manifest itself in millions and millions of different ways. But if I realize that every prat that I come in contact with is in truth just another way of uncovering that klal hakula, at that point I come to realize that enon movado, Ravichemeyer points out explicitly, and it's brought down in the Talmidim of the Rashash, not the Rashash himself, but the Teres Chacham makes it very clear, as well as some of the Sidurim, but the Rashash's entire system is built upon the concept of Tzimtzum in a Kapshuto. Everything is revealed to be the light of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. It's just a question of how do I uncover the darkness of my eyes to see it. But Hashem is everywhere, Hashem is everything, and it's our job to uncover the Shairish and that vision to be Dairish, the Kutsim of the Osios, to uncover all of that difficulty and reveal the singular light of HaKadosh Baruch Hu that exists within it, Be'ezrus Hashem. This podcast is supported in part from a grant from the Hadar Institute. The music is by Zusha. The audio engineer is David Kwan. For more from the Shefa Podcast Network, visit our Facebook page and please subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts.